0: Hey, my name is Phil and this is my wife Meredith and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. We are going to start off today in the book of John, chapter 20. If you have a Bible with you, I'd love for you to turn to the gospel of John, chapter 20. It's all the way towards the end. And what's happened is Jesus has been crucified, he's been buried, he's been resurrected, and he has started showing himself to different people. He started revealing himself in his risen form to different people along the way, particularly to his followers, to his disciples. And one of them in particular was not there when everyone else found out that Jesus was risen. And that's where we are starting is in John 20, starting in verse 24. It says, now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and I place my finger into the mark of the nails and I place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And so eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was inside with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, have you ever locked down a part of your life that you were like, Jesus, we can talk about other things and we can talk about other spaces, but I'm locking this section up. And who's grateful for a God who's not concerned about your locks? He's just concerned about his timeline and what needs to be done. And he can just walk right on past that lock. So Jesus walked on in. It says, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out his hands and place them in my side and do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him and said, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God, Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are the risen Christ. We've come here to glorify your name today. And I thank you for what you've spoken to me, God. And I ask you to speak it into this room and into our hearts and into our lives. And I declare over us that we are good soil. God, that the word that you speak will be planted in our lives and will grow and will produce fruit in the days, in the years, and in the weeks to come. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen, amen. I don't know if anyone else remembers prank calls. Yes. Who else was like a prank call? Come on, how good was that? Some of you, I'm sorry, are too young to remember you have not had the great joy of a Friday night at home playing some prank calls on some other people. But I used to have a friend and she and I, what we would do on a Friday night is sit at home and figure out how many random numbers we could call and ask them, hello, this is the refrigerator company. Is your refrigerator running? And to which they would say yes. And the response would be, you better go catch it then. Ah, Click. And we'd be like, who's up next? fake pizza deliveries, whatever it is. This was what, I mean, for an hour, we could just sit and do this until one day some one of them called back. They invented that callback thing. And then her mom got involved and then... But prank calls have kind of like upped their level of game over the last several years. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but now you get prank calls and they like have your information ahead of time. And there you don't realize you're in a prank call until you're like 30 seconds into it. And you're like, wait, I think they're fishing for my data now. And I think they're trying to like get me recorded on the other end so they can play it back for another piece of, and they're telling me I won prizes somewhere, like what is going on? And you now they're not just calling, they're texting as well. I'm getting pranked text messages from people. I'm like, what is this? Legitimately yesterday, I'm preparing these notes and I get a text message that's nothing more than a photo of like a dinner spread from a number that I don't know. And it says, you come in. And I'm like, I don't know this number from nobody. And I know because I have been here before that they're waiting for me to respond so that then they can go, oh, well, while I've got you here, I know this because a while ago I got a text message from somebody that was an unknown number to me. And it was like, hey, Tom, I'm so sorry. I got held up at work. I can't pick up the kids on time. Can you get there to pick them up? And I was like, oh, no. They've texted the wrong person. I'm not Tom. And so as the good citizen that I am, I responded to the text message, hey, this isn't Tom, you've texted the wrong phone number. To which they respond, oh, sorry about that, what's your name? And I was like, that's irrelevant to this situation. You don't need to know my name. It's not Tom. That's what my name, because it's, and I realized this is a ploy to pull me in to their little game that they're playing so they can get my information and sell me, they have really, up. I'm getting text messages from fake banks and fake phone companies. I'm getting text messages telling me I've got packages waiting somewhere. And I'm like, what is going, it has put me for full- basically the scenario that it means that I am currently in, in my life is that if I do not already have your phone number saved in my phone, I am not responding to any calls or any text messages from you because I am suspicious of everything. that comes through i live my life suspicious of what they're trying to get and what they're trying to sell me and it has put me on guard and i know it's not just me Two weeks ago, Phil and I have like an acquaintance who was trying to get in touch with a mutual friend. And so we shared the phone number with this middle person so they could reach out to our friend about something we'd been talking about. And then we get a text message from our friend that's like, hey, so-and-so texts me. And they said that they know you. Is this a legitimate human? (laughs) And we were like, yeah, they're real. That's a real person. But I understand it because we're so... Suspicious. We're so suspicious of everything that's coming our way. We live under this cloud of uncertainty and this cloud of suspicion. Like everybody is always trying to get one over on me, and like everyone is always trying to get after my information or get something from me or is trying to sell me on something that I don't think I want to buy or that I already have fulfilled in my life. I don't need your information, but we live under this cloud. Of suspicion and it makes us tense and it makes us closed off and it makes us lock in to here and now and I don't need new information I only need the information that I have currently already saved in my phone because I'm uncertain if any new information is actually going to benefit my life I am suspicious of absolutely everything I'm suspicious of leaders Are they really doing what they're supposed to be doing? Are they really who they say they are? Are they really going to do what they said they're going to do? What's really going on when they're not in front of the cameras or out in front of public statements? What's really going on behind the scenes? I'm suspicious and I'm questioning and I'm uncertain if who they are is who they really say that they are. And I'm not sure that I can really put my trust. I'm suspicious of the information that I get, of the news that comes to me. I don't feel like I can believe any of it or that I can go all in on trusting any of it. And I'm trying to make decisions about my life and about my future and about my family and about my career. And I'm not sure about the, I question the information that's coming to me. And I'm suspicious every time somebody gives me a report and says, well, what's going on in the economy is, I'm like, why is that the angle they're taking on it? What is the other message that they're really trying to? Phil came home from the gym the other day and he goes, Man, I was at the gym, I was running on the treadmill, and they had all the TVs up, you know, and two different news channels were running the same story at the same time with very different titles and slants on the information, which we know happens, and it makes us suspicious of what is it that I'm being fed and how do I, we're suspicious of our stories and of our history and of who wrote down this family tale and why did they include certain parts and why did they not include other parts of the story? I don't know if you've ever had the experience of being like in a family conversation with maybe your extended family and all of a sudden a new piece of information comes out and you're like, I'm sorry, we used to what? Somebody did, hmm, I'm not sure about all of the information that has been trickled down the line, and it makes us suspicious of each other. I don't know if I can really trust you. And I don't know if I can really go all in on the information you're telling me. I'm suspicious that maybe you're just at it for your own angle. And I'm suspicious that maybe you're just trying to sell me something that you need me to be part of. And I'm suspicious that maybe you're not who you really say you are because if you've lived for a little while, there are moments in life when you find out people are better than you could have ever imagined and the beauty and wonder of who people are comes up to the surface, but also if you've lived for a while, there are moments in life where you find out that someone is not who you thought they were at all. And it makes you suspicious of everyone else. If you're not careful, you find yourself living under this cloud of suspicion. I watched this girl tell her story the other day. This young woman who had just graduated from college, she came out. She's looking for a job. And while she's looking for a job, she goes through an interview process. She gets a job offer. It seems like the job that she's been waiting for. It's what she wanted. It's in her field. It's got benefits. It's got pay. It's all of the good stuff. And as the story goes on, what happens is that she ends up getting scammed into something. They convince her to send some money ahead of time to get some things set up. And after that money is transferred, Transferred, she never hears anything from them ever again. And this poor girl who is just trying to get her start out in the great big grown up world now has this devastating realization that she has been had. That she has transferred thousands of dollars that she did not have over to someone to get her set up on her dream job. And I started thinking about what an awful moment that was for her life, but also how the next time when the legitimate job offer comes, there's going to be this cloud of suspicion in her heart. There's going to be this doubt of uncertainty in her, wondering if this one really is it this time how she's going to wonder and she's going to remember if she can really go all in on this job this time. I started thinking about how when we have these illegitimate experiences, it somehow taints the legitimate experiences in our life. And we no longer know how to trust and how to go in on the real life scenarios that God is giving us. I started thinking about how we encounter illegitimate love in our life and then we're not sure that we can accept legitimate love when it shows up to us. I started thinking about how we accept illegitimate success in our life and it makes us unable to recognize what legitimate success is. Because we're so used to being on guard from the illegitimate, from the fake, from the fraud, from the, the fraudulent thing that is trying to catch us and is trying to get us that we think this is the only thing I know how to respond to. And now that the real thing has showed up, I'm not even sure I know what to do with it anymore. I was talking to another friend this last week who told me we got a, a job offer and they upped the money and they offered to renew the contract and they wanted us to go after it again but we told them no i really just want to be home more i really just need to be with my family more and i walked away from the conversation and i thought man that's somebody who has learned how to recognize legitimate success In life. And I wondered, would I be able to recognize that same level of legitimate success because we are so sold the illegitimate? And when we're so used to being sold and being walked into the illegitimate thing, we never are quite sure. We're so used to being sold illegitimate gods and illegitimate deities and illegitimate idols in our life that when the real thing shows up, we hardly even recognize it. You're so used to being sold an illegitimate version of yourself that when the real you tries to be unearthed and tries to show up, you don't even recognize it anymore because we are so used to the illegitimate thing. And Thomas finds himself in this moment where the real thing is standing in front of him, the real thing or where he's being told that the real thing has come to be, but he's not sure because there have been so many illegitimate claims that have come before it. Jesus was not the first person to claim himself to be the Messiah. The Jewish people had been waiting for their Messiah for generation on generation. They were waiting for this one who would come, who would come and who would set them free from every form of captivity. They were waiting on this one, this promised one who had been passed down to them from generation to generation. That God would come to them and that God would save them and that God would be their deliverer. And they had been waiting and waiting and it had produced an environment where illegitimate claims had been made. In the last several years before Jesus shows up on the scene, there was Simon of Perea, there was Anthrogynous, there was Thaddeus, and there was Judas of Galilee were the four most prominent names that none of you have ever heard because they were illegitimate sources. But each of them in their own right had gained following had created a revolt, had gathered people around them who believed that they were now following the Messiah and were devastated when those were overcome by the Roman government, were squashed, and where nothing more came from it. Because the thing about an illegitimate source is that it doesn't have lasting potential. It doesn't have staying Power. It's not able to continue and to last the path of time. It's why I'm not always interested in who's hot right now. And I'm not always interested in what just sprung up today. I'm not always interested in what trend just happens to be on the top of the charts for the moment. What I want to know is what has lasted, what has continued, what has made it through the path of time because something that sprouts up. Could just be illegitimate, and I don't know until I give it a minute, until I give it some time. And each of these four proved to be illegitimate because though they were able to gather followers and though they spoke in eloquent words and though they formed revolts against the Roman government, they were not able to last when the government came against them and when they squashed them, they could not get back up. They could not reassemble their followers. They could not rise themselves from the dead. There was only one legitimate source who, though he gathered his followers and though he spoke eloquently and though he created a movement of people who were walking in a brand new way and direction all of those were not the evidence that he was who he said that he was the evidence that he was who he said that he was was in the fact that when they tried to squash his movement and when they tried to bury him and when they tried to hold him down they could not keep him in that grave but he got back up again he stood back up and he he came out and he walked among them and he revealed themse- himself to them and he began to show himself as the legitimate messiah that they had always been waiting for and he proved himself to his disciples a couple of years ago we were at actually at a Thanksgiving dinner, and I get a text message from one of those like text messaging numbers. You know, you know they get those special short numbers. Like, how come I have to have 18 numbers and you have like four numbers? And it comes through, and I read it, and it says, "Alert from your bank: um, fraudulent charges have been made. Click this link." Right? So I'm looking at it, and I live in a cloud of suspicion. Why <laughs> you're not getting me? I look at it and I'm like, nah. Take it to Phil and I go, hey, this is this is a scam, right? He looks at it and he goes, Yeah, that's not real. Cool. Delete, block, send, finish Thanksgiving dinner. Awesome. Great day. I made it pie. Another one. Does not get us. We will not be scammed. And then our long weekend finishes from the holiday. Monday comes back around. You're re-emerging into real life. I log in, I'm double checking all of our accounts. And there are about half a dozen fraudulent charges on our account. That text message was not a fake. That text message was legit. And I missed the real thing because I was so used to seeing the fake thing. I was so used to looking at illegitimate claims and I was so used to living in my cloud of suspicion that when the real thing showed up, I didn't even recognize it. Thomas almost misses the real thing because he is so used to living in a cloud of suspicion because he is doubting that Jesus really is who he said that he is because he is suspicious that the people that he is hanging around truly have his best interest at heart. He is suspicious of everything around him and when they come to him and they say he really was who he said, he's telling them, I don't believe you and I will never believe you unless I can see it and I can touch it for myself. You have to imagine The disappointment that Thomas must have been feeling. He has spent his last several years following Jesus around, helping him set up his ministry, helping tell people that they have found the one, helping him uh, proclaim his message all throughout the land. This is what he has spent his time doing. And now he believes that he has missed it. I can just imagine him thinking, I can't believe I got scammed like that. I can't believe I let them take me in like that. I'm just like one of anthrogyny's followers now with nothing left to show for the years that I walked around with them. I'm just like one of those ones who got duped by one of these fake messiahs. Don't miss it in the text. Thomas is saying to them I don't believe you that he rose and if I don't believe you that he rose it means I don't believe you that he is who he said that he was and if I don't believe that he is who he said that he was it means that I believe that I have wasted the last several years of my life and I don't know what we're doing here now and I don't know how to move forward with this and I don't know what any of my meaning and any of he is at a place where absolutely nothing Nothing in his life makes sense anymore. What is Thomas doing? This Thomas almost misses it. This Thomas, who would go forward to be one of the great evangelists for the message of who Jesus is. This Thomas, who is one of the disciples who would go forward in life proclaiming that Jesus, in fact, is the risen Messiah and that if you believe in him, then your whole life can move in another direction. This Thomas who in the future would move forward to be the one to go all the way from Jerusalem into India to proclaim the gospel and the message of who Jesus is. This Thomas who in his future would go and establish Christian communities all throughout India and be known as the one... And credited as the one who declared who Jesus was, not just in Jerusalem and not just in Judea, but all the way to the people of India, he almost misses it because he's suspicious of the people around him and the information that's coming at him. What are you almost missing in your life? Because you're living under a cloud of suspicion because you've allowed doubt to overcome you because you've allowed uncertainty to be the railing narrative in your mind and there is a future for you that God has intended and there are people that are waiting for you that God has intended and there is something that God has called you to do but if you allow uncertainty and doubt and suspicion to be the prevailing narrative in your life you will miss the very thing that God is trying to speak to you and that god is trying to call you into and thomas almost misses it except he finds himself in the room what is he even doing in this room anymore why is he even here with the remaining 10 judas is gone there are 10 who believe And Thomas has told them, I'm not buying it. In fact, he says, I will never believe unless I see this. And so why is it that a week later, though he has declared that he will not believe, that he cannot believe, that he does not believe anything that they are telling him and anything that they are speaking to him, yet he still finds himself in the room with the convinced. He still finds himself in the room with those who are proclaiming that Jesus is exactly who he said he would be. He still finds himself in the room with those who believe though he himself says he cannot believe. What is Thomas doing in this room? Last week he said I will never believe but this week he finds himself standing in the room amongst the convinced there is something inside of Thomas that though part of him says I will never believe and I cannot believe and I refuse to believe and I doubt it and I'm filled with suspicion there's also part of thomas that says maybe i should just hang around in case maybe all of it wasn't fake Maybe there's still a little bit of hope that what they're saying is true. Maybe if I just find myself around people who believe enough, there's part of Thomas that's saying, let it go. You're a fool. And there's part of Thomas that's saying, stick around. There's more hope to be found. There's part of Thomas that is caught in unbelief and in suspicion. And there's part of Thomas that still believes and is still hoping and is still waiting for it. And the fact that Thomas can't decide, does he not believe? If he totally doesn't believe, it makes absolutely no sense that he would still be hanging around with these people that he would still be inside of this room but the part of him that says maybe just maybe brings him into the room with the convinced even though he said he would never believe if you find yourself in this room And you said, I don't think I believe, and I'm not sure about any of this, and I'm not really convinced by it, but you brought yourself out anyway. Let me congratulate you on the part of you that said, I have just enough curiosity. And I have just enough hope left and I have just enough maybe left that I thought that maybe if I kept hanging around the people who have said that they had seen him, then maybe, just maybe, I might get a chance to see him too. And Thomas finds himself in the room with the convinced, though he himself has not been convinced And when he finds himself in that place, though the doors are shut and though the doors are locked, it says Jesus himself comes walking right into that room. He walks right into the place where the disciples have gathered, and he walks right into the place where Thomas is doubting. He rocks, walks right into the place of Thomas's suspicion. He walks right into the moment that he needs him to show up most. He walks right in. And when Jesus walks into the room, he addresses everyone and he says, Peace be to you. But then he looks directly at Thomas. And he reminds him that though you doubted me when you said the words, I'm still a God who heard the words and I showed up for you still. Because he says to him, here are the holes, come and touch them, Thomas. I heard you when you said that you needed to touch the holes in my hands and I heard you when you said you needed to touch the holes in my side. I know that when you said it you said it as accusation and I know that when you said it, you said it as doubt and I know that when you said it, you said it as as uncertainty but I came here today to prove to you in faith and I came here to prove to you that I am exactly who I said that I was, that I am God all by myself and that I heard You when you said it and that I came here for you. Thomas walks or Jesus walks all the way into Thomas and he says, Here are the holes, Thomas. I came here for you. They I've shown everyone else. I've proved myself to everyone else they believe and they see and they know but I'm still here for you he came here for you who are doubting and he came here for you who are uncertain and he came here for you who weren't sure that you could make it and he came here for you who said just maybe just maybe if I can get into the room he heard the prayer that you prayed and he heard the cry that you said and he came walking into the space so he could find you and so he could come after you and he He could prove to you that he is exactly who he said that he was. And he walks into that room and something amazing happens. Because though Thomas said he would never believe it unless he could touch them with his hand. When Jesus walks into that room, we have no record that Thomas actually ever touches the holes in Jesus' hands or the hole in his side. Instead, when Jesus comes walking into that room and Thomas encounters the very presence of the risen God, Thomas encounters the very presence of the risen Savior. He encounters Jesus fully God and fully risen as who he will be seated in eternity and interceding on your behalf and all of the sudden he doesn't respond with yeah I need to touch that thing he simply responds with my Lord and my God my Lord and my God and it tells me that perhaps all of the things that you thought that you needed to believe in him and all of the prayers that you cried out that if I see this then I will believe perhaps all of those things fade away when you come and you encounter who Jesus really is that when he walks into the room when he walks into your life when he becomes real to you when he becomes relevant to you when he becomes seen to you and known by you I know you pray prayers like God if you heal this person then I'll believe you and God if you open up this door then I'll believe it for you God if you explain to me the trauma of my childhood, then I'll believe in you and I hope that you get all of those things but I'm telling you, when you encounter Jesus just like Thomas thought that he needed to touch it, he didn't need to touch it, he just needed to see Jesus. And when Jesus walked into the room, just like he's walking into your life right now, just like he's coming to meet you where you are right now, All the other things faded away. All the other things became secondary. All the other things became minuscule in light of His glory, in light of who He is, in light of His wonder, in light of His resurrection power, in light of the grandeur of who it is to see the standing, risen, living. God and Thomas's only reasonable response was I have to give my whole life to you I have to give all of who I am to you I have to give every part. my Lord and my God I see you and I recognize you and you're who you said you were gonna be and you're everything you've ever claimed to be and you walked in here right now and I see and I know that Jesus you are you are my Lord and you are my God he makes the declaration I heard them say that you were who you said you are but in this moment you're becoming my you're becoming my God in this moment I'm saying yes Jesus to who you are in this moment I'm saying I will follow you for all of my days in this moment he says this is exactly who you claimed you could be and the suspicion fades away and the doubt fades away and the uncertainty fades away and Thomas finds out that he can decide to hold on to faith more than he holds on to his doubt everyone who can is standing around this room because some people in this room are getting ready to make the same declaration some people online are getting ready to make the same declaration that Thomas made which is a declaration of saying I see you Jesus and today I'm saying you're not their Lord and you're not their God You're my Lord and you're my God. Today is my day to say yes to a life of following Jesus. If you know that today is your day to say yes to a life of following Jesus, I want you to raise your hand all around this room, hands that are going up all around the room and hands that are going up online of saying, Jesus, I'm saying you are my Lord and my God.